trigger warning, trigger warning. This is a reminder, you have got a trigger. Do you know what your trigger is? It's that soft spot, that bruise that makes you see red when it gets pushed. And I don't know what your trigger is, only you know that. This podcast strives to have thoughtful adult conversation about human issues. But I'm not a professional, and I would describe lots of the topics here as things that would trigger someone. So if you find yourself being triggered by any of the issues that we talk about here, I'm asking you now to please take that opportunity to simply find something else to listen to. Also, this is not professional advice, ever, (laughs) even when we talk to professionals. This is only casual conversation that is meant to promote for mindfulness and examine our own egos. Thanks. So we are sitting in bed on a Saturday morning in front of your computer. And we're looking at a question mark on the screen. And this has come. Discover the sex of your baby. Is it a boy or a girl? Play the video to find out the sex of your baby. So we're sort of deciding right now to, this is our own gender reveal, right? I at least need my cup of coffee. What are we doing? Go get your coffee. Well, wait, I'm not done yet. I told you I'll do this with you, but we have to unpack this a little bit. (laughs) I can't wait. Let's do it. (laughs) Aren't you curious about the values that I'm looking to pass on to my child? Yeah, look how selfish of me. I'm just so ready to press on that button. I'm like, I don't care what you have to say. Let's just get to it. (laughs) Yes, tell me, tell me. Well, I don't know. It feels a little little forced now. Mm -mm. I do want to know. All I'm doing, baby, is staring at that button. It's like fire. It's like, I just want to press it right now. But I'm listening. I can wait. I've been I've been waiting for a long time, and I can wait for another Let's two see. minutes. What do you wish you could mold that little brain into? What is my necessary delusion about the baby? My necessary delusion about the baby is that I'm prepared for it. You are. Oh, you're so prepared. I appreciate that. I believe it. Keep feeding my story. Um, yeah, I think that I need to believe that I'm prepared for this that you and I are prepared for this, that we're mentally, emotionally, financially prepared and secured to bring a person into the world. Sounds like a big part of my delusion is based in fear. I gotta work on that. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and when I was growing up, my parents told me an enthralling story that was easy to remember, easy to repeat, easy for me to believe because it played directly into my natural unconscious bias. They told me I was special. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. You heard the news, Pow's pregnant. We're gonna have a baby. We're actually gonna have a baby very, very soon. So we've been thinking about it a lot, fantasizing. And so here we are for our season two finale with friends and family, unpacking the delusions of parenthood. 
the term mini-me. That is no way my mini-me. I want her to be like this swollen little ball of meat. I want to be a dad and I want to do things basically the opposite of the way my dad did them. I've also changed schools quite a few times. She was smarter than her teachers. Everybody thinks their kid is the smartest kid. I want her to lead with kindness. I would like her not to be influenced by whatever other people think. There's so much like fantasy and wish and hope and the magic that goes into like having a kid. It's such weird news to get that you're pregnant because it's like it sort of starts as a necessary delusion, right? Yeah. But they did the ultrasound and so we heard the baby's heartbeat. <laughs> hearing the baby's heartbeat was like the first sound that I'm hearing this creature make. But I can't see it. So it still sort of feels like it's just an idea. And at the same time, I immediately feel this responsibility to keep it alive. Keep that little heart beating. I may be too close to it, but parenthood feels like this giant, complex delusion that plays into all of the best and most essential ideas that we have about ourselves. It feels like life or death. Like the best things about me will keep it alive. And the worst things about me? Well, let's try not to manifest any of the worst things about me. Parenthood feels like an opportunity for us to suddenly have control over these old ghosts that haunt us. There's this redemptive quality about it, certainly aspirational. This opportunity to either right our own wrongs through the actions of our children, delusion, or right the wrongs of our parents in the ways that they raised us by making different decisions with our own children. Delusion? I don't know yet. Anyway, originally Pow and I were going to wait until the baby was born to find out the gender, but frankly, she couldn't wait. <laughs> Sitting in bed on a Saturday morning, early on in the pregnancy, I agreed we could learn the gender if she would agree to unpack some of the parenthood delusions with me first. Here's Pow. I have all these ideas of like, you know, mistakes that I've made in life. And I'm like, oh, I don't want my child to go through it. So I know how to control for that <laughs> and then guide them in the right direction for it. I don't know. It's like a I'm full of projects, okay? This baby is the biggest project that's ever thrown at me. And I don't mean it like, oh, it's a project and I'm going to turn this baby into this like perfection walking machine. No, I'm not saying that. It's just like, it's our baby. Yes. We are making it. And yes. we get to feed its brain whatever we think it's going to be best for them. And then they get older and make their own decisions and forget about us. That's okay. But at least we know we have control over what we say and, and what we what we do with them in the very beginning to make them good human beings because yes. that's what this community needs we don't need more douchebags we don't need more douchebags that's for sure now let's talk to my buddy marcus and get the shrink's perspective he's a psycho analyst what do you think the necessary delusion is about having children well, it's just, it's so definitive. I mean, you're like, you're literally bringing like a life into the world who's like entirely dependent on you and who you have all of these like inchoate, like clandestine sort of like desires and aspirations for, you know, before they're even born. Marcus has two sons of his own, a six-year-old and two-year-old at the time of this recording. Like there's so much fantasy and wish and hope and the magic that goes into like having a kid, like who, what kind of kid you desire to have and the way that desire gets like transmitted to your kid. That feels pretty concentrated. What kind of kid you desire to have and the way that desire gets transmitted to your kid. 
it's almost like the kid is like a like a vehicle for your fantasies. I think so, very very actively, especially when the kid has no agency, when the kid is too young to do anything other than like eat and sleep. It's like eating and sleeping and like its parents are staring at it with like thousands of ideas in their head. Like that's its entire existence, you know. Yeah. Um and fears and you know, anxieties and like, it's very complex, it just feels ancient, like primordial. And then your kid grows up also, and you start to see the ways that they that some of those wishes have come to fruition and the way some of them haven't and the way your kid is like you and the way your kid isn't like you. It's all like, it's all really incredible. I think I've this year I made so far everything on my manifestation plan happen. Yeah, my friends, Gabby and Marina, mother and daughter, or daughter and mother. Gabby's the daughter, Marina's the mother. You'll get it. Can you give us a couple highlights? Yeah. Um, so my goal was to get a new job with a leadership position, to earn six figures, and to start the process of looking for a house to buy. And all three of those things have kind of already, two of those things have happened and the other one is kind of on the pipeline. So you're so happy. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Well, I'm in, still in the shock because of... Uh... Yeah. I've had a very unconventional we, career trajectory. So. Not just career trajectory. Life. Our love together has been yeah. very unconventional. Yeah. Once upon a time, Gabby's mom, Marina, was my career coach. Now we're friends. Marina was a single mom to Gabby and pulled her in for our episode today. Gabby is thriving in her adult life, which may sometimes feel like a delusion because, like her mom said, their life together for the last 28 years has been very unconventional. What is the little story that you think that your mom gifted you with? What necessary delusion has she told you throughout your life? And what parts of it have you hung on to? And what parts of it have you yeah. gotten rid of? The immediate thing that comes to my mind is, so I'm first generation on both sides. My mom came here from Russia, obviously, you know this. My dad came here as well a little bit later and they met here. So I'm first gen, even though I'm ext I feel extremely Americanized, like I still have this I wouldn't say internal pressure, but this like, I, I'm very cognizant of the fact that like, I have an opportunity that was given to me by my family that they basically toiled and suffered to get me to the point where I'm able to kind of live with fewer consequences. And I'm able to kind of live my life the way that I want to, because so many people made these sacrifices. So I think the necessary delusion that I live with is that things are precarious and they can be taken away at any time. Because I've seen my family, I've heard the stories of the trials, the tribulations, like my grandfather started everything over at 40. My mom had to come here at 16 and like basically learn a new culture, learn a new, learn a new city, learn a new system, learn an entirely different country of like how, how to exist in a new space. So I think there's always this, not fear, but there's always this belief that like anything can change any minute and something can happen where regardless of the foundation that I have and that I've built, it can be either taken away and that I might have to rebuild it. But with that also comes the other side of it, which is like, I can start from scratch at any time. It's possible to start from scratch and build something that's even potentially better than what we had in the past. That sounds like a powerful double-edged delusion. Is, th is that what you thought she was going to say? No, but I do speak to so many kids that age as a coach who are first generation and um, everyone has that edge that hunger, and that flexibility, by the way. Did you know that you were telling that story so strongly and consistently? You know, it was fear. Immigrants live with fear. And that is, unfortunately, that's just how it is. So I think she grew up with a lot of fear. I don't think it's a great thing, but apparently that became a necessary delusion yeah. to survive. I always tell myself to rewrite my fear with curiosity, to change my story. Stop fear from driving my path. But in hearing Gabby and Marina talk about it, it's a reminder of how compelling fear can be. 
how powerful, how helpful, maybe. It sounds like it is if you use it in the right way. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about your feelings about the gender? Well, I really want it to be a girl, obviously. Why obviously? You know, because I, I want big bows. Big bows? Pow and I are back in bed, sitting in front of the question mark. You never know what she's going to say. She wants a girl because she wants big bows. I want bows that are bigger than the baby's head. That's what, like, what's so exciting about... Not to say that I wouldn't be excited about a boy. Of course I'm excited about a boy. But when I think of a baby that can wear huge bows and uncomfortable dresses and cute, <laughs> uncomfortable shoes, this is what being a woman's all about. <laughs> you're, you're making me really not want it to be a girl now because I don't want you putting <laughs> uncomfortable dresses on her. Some Honestly, shoes. I'm totally joking when I see people doing that to babies where they put like these fluffy dresses. And I'm like, this baby doesn't want that. You see, it's itchy. It's like squirming around and they can talk. They're clearly telling you with their body language they're uncomfortable. I'm joking, but they just look so cute. No, I love boys. I, I'm just very excited about raising a girl, not to be a princess, but to be a warrior. There's a part of our delusion, to raise a warrior. Because a warrior will be necessary to survive this crazy, broken world that we're bringing them into. My cousins Jackie and Tom from Cleveland talking about their daughters, who are nearly 11 and 14 at the time of this recording. We have a teacher at the girls' school, and she tells us all the time, every day, I want you to look at your child as if they were a person in the workplace. Do they show up to work? Do they have coworkers that like them? Are they reliable? Are they a manager? Are they coming in late every day? Are they prepared? And that's such a great reminder because really they're our children, yes, but we're raising them to go into the world. So a delusion of mine is that these are my kids or our children. They're not. We're raising, I mean, of course they are, but they're, we are getting them ready to go. I imagine that can sometimes feel like a delusion when you're talking about an 11-year-old, but it sounds completely necessary to remember. This isn't your kid. This is a soon-to-be independent adult, and you need to get them ready to go. That's experience talking. I mean, we talk about this a little bit just as parents and just trying to picture where our children will go. What does their path look like? I think (laughs) we'll always be very driven and very focused, and she'll always be looking for that next thing. Like I could could see (laughs) being the CEO of a company, or as I see being more of this free spirit and just being like, hey, you know what? I got $85 in my checking account. That's totally cool. I'm willing to go wherever the day takes me. And Mm -hmm. I I think Mm -hmm. that that's great about both of them. And as Jackie and I were talking about some of the delusions that we have or the bigger delusions is that we think our kids need to be exact replicas of us. And they're not. They're an extension of us. They're the best and the worst parts of us, but they're their own people. The term mini-me, you know, this is my mini-me. I mean, that is a poor expression when it comes to a parent-child relationship, in my opinion. They're going to have their own successes, and I'll be cheering them on, and they will have their own big, fat failures, and we will build them up. But they're their own people, and they make their own choices. And that's the scary part. That's the part that we don't control. We only have control over ourselves. So maybe that's a part of the survival delusion, too. Maybe it's not just ego that can unconsciously want us to turn our children into mini versions of us. Maybe it's survival, that little lizard brain that says, act like me. This is how you survive, by acting like this. 
What necessary delusion do you think, or what wish do you think that your parents tried to put into you or mm. live through you? Yeah, that's a tough one to answer in some ways because I don't, I don't have like a transparent enough relationship with my parents to understand that. I think my mom, because my mom grew up very poor and uh, like really struggled for a lot of her life. I think my laziness and my sort of like intellectualism as it presented itself when I, particularly when I was like a teenager, was like very distressing to her. Like I think my mom on some level really wanted me to, you know, be like a doctor or like a lawyer. I, I often associate some of like the ambition that I have is like sort of like originating from my mom. As a teenager, Marcus aspired to be a writer. He played guitar and went to a liberal arts school and slept late into the day, like most college kids. Unfortunately, his mom, Arlene, passed away during this time, and she never got to see his evolution. She never got to see the powerful ambition that emerged from Marcus and drove him to create this flourishing life and career and family for himself. I think my dad and I have that thing where we have almost nothing to say to one another. Like, I think my dad in some ways, because I'm his only son, like really wanted a son who was probably like a lot like him. Like, I think my dad wants to like play golf with me. And the fact that his son is like lives in New York and is like a communist who's like a psychoanalyst and only cares about like thoughts and feelings or whatever. It's, just, it's like totally anathema to him. Anathema. Noun. Something or someone that one vehemently dislikes. I don't have any recollection of ever seeing my mom afraid. Even during the very few times that I remember there was that physical altercations from my dad, I remember her standing strong. Her body language was very gentle and feminine, yet she was a boss. She had like a strong presence, personality, but her body movements were very elegant. It seemed very effortless. You always talk about your mom's composure, but I feel like you, you saw your mom go through periods in her life when she really had to hustle. There were times where you guys were leaving a home together, running to a new place, running into the unknown together, you mm -hmm. know? There were times when she didn't know what was gonna happen next. But as a child, you don't know that your mom doesn't know. You just, you see her move around, you see her asking around and you feel like, it feels like she knows exactly what to do. It was until later on that I found out that she was scared that she was she wasn't sure uncertain about what was going to happen where we were going to go but in my eyes she always looked like she had a plan she knew exactly where we were going she knew exactly who we were going to be meeting up with you know i came here i went right into 10th grade because i was an adult already right i got into boston university and i was supposed to be a doctor but my mom was a physician marina arrived in new york city from russia when she was in only 10th grade so after only two quick years finishing up high school, she was off to Boston University, all on her own, to live out her parents' dream that she would become a doctor. Except Marina had always been more inclined towards the arts. I was a fine artist when I was growing up, and actually, I, as a child, I participated in exhibitions in London. And so I was doing fine arts all these years, but I was supposed to be a doctor because you had to be the lawyer or doctor. Or at the time, it was accountant or a computer engineer. So there were four professions available, yeah. Only four professions available. Delusion. I did end up going to Boston University, but I didn't do well in the subjects that had to do anything with the medicine. I did really well with humanities, you know. I think I got a D in one of like, like biology or chemistry or something like that. I was not allowed to go back. 
to Boston University. My father dragged me literally home and put me in Queens College into a Russian ghetto. The Russian Jewish ghetto in Queens, where she moved back in with her parents. This felt like a big loss. Medicine wasn't her dream, but Boston University had been her opportunity for freedom and autonomy. It had been access to the greater world. When she moved home to live with her parents and go to Queens College, it was like being locked up in the delusion that her parents had for her. So I was in Queens College doing the same, basically taking pre-med courses. Well, the first thing I did was get married. What else can you do when you are growing up in a house where you're not allowed to go out, basically not allowed to have a life, you know? So what do you do? You get married. And uh, the second thing I did was, as I was passing by Parsons School of Design. Big art school in Manhattan. In about May of 84. And uh, I looked at it and said, I just want to be here. I don't want to be in Queens College. So she walked into Parsons School of Design and started asking people how to become a student. The admissions office was supposed to be even closing. I think that week, I literally just made it. She was told she would need a portfolio which she actually had on hand from taking art classes. I used to go on Saturdays. I took classes at the Art Students League on 57th Street, all through high school. What was in the portfolio? It was a lot of life drawing, and uh, it was mostly graphics and a lot of paintings. I was actually a painter before. And what were you trying to major in at Parsons? Fashion design. This was the idea that Marina had for herself. She didn't want to be a pre-med student. She wanted to be a fashion designer. So at the last possible moment, she showed the Parsons admissions director her portfolio. And he loved it. Not only that, but the director of admissions called my father at work. I asked him to call. (laughs) And he said, we only get people like your daughter, maybe once in five years. You can understand how a statement like that would inspire some confidence. My dad was floored. First of all, that someone called him at work, made an effort. I got in. Even with a scholarship, it was amazing. I decided to get married and go to Parsons at the same time. Because if I get married, they can't tell me what to do. (laughs) That was the idea. And that's exactly what happened, actually. Even though after the first year, we had foundation year, I was told that I have enough talent to go for fine arts. But the necessary delusion, I needed to have a profession. She couldn't go to school for painting or sculpture. She needed to have a profession. By my calculation, she was less than five years in America at this point. So she got married and made her own decision about school, despite her father's feelings. I mean, look, honestly, he never accepted it. You know, he passed away a month and a half ago. He still didn't know, I think, what I, exactly was I was doing for 25 years. It was like a, a silly little hobby, unfortunately. Yes. It was like how he always perceived it. A silly little hobby that Marina turned into a thriving career in fashion design throughout her 20s and 30s. After school ended, she traveled around the world, living the dream and designing for big brands. So regardless of if it's a boy or a girl, you sort of want these values or these characteristics would stay the same. No? Don't feel strongly about that? Sorry, I want to press the button. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so ready for this. Are you ready? (laughs) You know you're talking about sports. What are we doing? Don't do this to me. Can we do it? All right, let's try it. We settled in front of the laptop and hit the play button on the video. Okay, let's see. <sighs> so we're seeing sort of... Oh my god! Oh 
of the earth monster, what is something in yourself that you have thought or are like, God, please, please don't let me see this quality of mine in them. Yeah, I, I have a lot of envy of other people in other situations. And it's not, it's definitely difficult for, for me to deal with at times. It leads to me not always feeling satisfied, whether it's in my career or, you know, what, you know whether that's financially, personally, professionally, I just kind of feel like I, I'm always like, well, I really wish I had this, or I really wish that I was this, what this person is. And that kind of leaves me, I deal with a lot of self-talk from time to time not good self-talk and I've really had to work on it hard the last three or four years and I feel work has stretched me in a way that I've had to deal with that whether that's just around people or or in different situations and being uncomfortable but I I would say that part of me is something that I I struggle with is that I often will feel envy pressure. I think it's pressure that every immigrant child has. I think it's actually the pressure has decreased as I've gotten older um, from my family. And I see that the the exact opposite has happened to my friends who are also from the same like Russian Jewish background. Their parents, the older they get, the pressure exponentially grows. Like, okay, you went to college. Now you have to go to medical school. You went to medical school. Where's your residency? You got the residency. When are you getting married? And when are you Why aren't kids? you a surgeon? Yeah. Why aren't you a surgeon? Like I have friends who's, who are veterinarians and they're like, well, that's not real medicine. Like, yeah. why are you like, what are you doing? Um, so luckily I think I did not have any of that. And that speaks to my family. Like, again, it was implicit. It wasn't explicit. I think when I was younger, maybe up until high school, it was like pressure to succeed constantly. But then I think one, I advocated for myself. I'm very strong-willed and strong worded and minded. Like I will do what I want and what I think is right, which has probably caused her to prematurely age. Like when I was younger, I was really, <gasps> that was, a, <laughs> I was not the greatest. I could not do more of this. Teenagers. I could only take one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like spoke up and did what I thought was important to myself. And because of that, the pressure kind of decreased and I was on my own trajectory. And I think my family trusted what I was doing a little bit more once I No, started. we didn't have a choice. Yeah. We did not have a choice. Really, You were forced to trust yes, me. And it turned like, out okay. And it yeah. turned out, it turned out fine. Um, so it's this combination of me being a stubborn, strong-minded, strong-willed kind of an asshole when I was younger, but also <laughs> the pressure dying down that led to me. I, I really value what I have as being a child of immigrants because I have friends who were born and raised here. I have friends who are children of immigrants. I have friends who are immigrants who came here when they were 18, 19, 20. The people that I know, that the ones that grew up with the really like strong pressure to succeed, maybe weren't as successful and have a lot more anxiety. But the ones that have this foundation of support, but also this like reinforced desire to grow, like my, my, my boyfriend, my partner, he also is a child of an immigrant. The values are very similar. It's not necessarily to succeed, but to succeed in the right that you want to succeed. So not necessarily like this framework of doctor, lawyer nonsense, but set yourself up for success, basically. Maybe it's not about expecting particular things from your children, but instead teaching them to expect certain things from themselves. I think I've softened about a lot of that as I've gotten older, just because my dad has softened about a lot of it, too. Um, yeah, well, I feel like also maybe something that you've realized more recently is I think that maybe you have fulfilled a lot of the wishes that your father had for you. Yeah, my mom, too. I think it like I think it came back around like before my mom died when I was still in undergrad. I remember showing my mom some of my work and her being like sort of like very impressed with it. Like, I think she 
I don't know. There, there does feel like for a lot of people with parents, there's like there's this period where your parents sort of are like clinging to some idea they have about you. And then there's a moment they sort of let it go and just like allow you to be who you are. Some people don't get that till they're like 60. Some people get that when they're like eight and everything in between. But yeah, I feel like I did pass through something with my parents where all of a sudden it was like, I felt like they did kind of to some extent, like see me for who I, you know, for who I am. Well, it's interesting too, that you went right to sort of teenage laziness from your mom's point of view, because, you know, whose teenage laziness is looked on well, you know what I mean? It's almost like I actually have thought for a long time that if your mom had been around to see more of your path, that I feel like she would have gotten on board so much quicker because I sort of suspect that you're, you're a lot like her. Yeah. Um, and maybe have a lot of shared interests and stuff or maybe things that she didn't do. No, absolutely. I think I think she would have gotten on board. I mean, I think part of the duality of your question is that it's like, and this gets back to closure and the fantasy of getting away from aspects of ourself. Like I think both my parents had sort of like aspirational ideas about the kind of person that all of their kids would be. But then there's like the reality of who your parents actually are and the way who they actually are, like affects you. I mean, I think that that is part of the complexity. Like you have very conscious and unconscious wishes for your kids, but then you also have all of your own blind spots and the way you're like defending against those blind spots. So it's like, it often feels like your kids end up more like how you actually are on some level than how you sort of like wish they might be. And that's part of like the complexity of it. Let's see, Jackie, can we throw that one to you first? Let's start with the ugly underbelly earth monster, and then we'll go to the the aspirational. Is that okay? Uh, My two answers really come back to one area. You know, my my underbelly is full of incomplete tasks. I'm often 80-20, 90-10, you know, and then right at the end, I'm like, eh, I'll get to it another time. And that's not just a pile of laundry. That could be painting the bathroom or grocery shopping, uh, you know, the the tasks that I do, uh, they don't always get completed to 100% in a timely fashion. And that's big and little things. Honestly, that's like our taxes, you know, I'll wait till the end to get everything all ready. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, then we're missing like one form and I'll get to it later, you know, so that's kind of <laughs> That's just kind of Jack, like, Jackie's a uh, she's a, a make the list and then lose the list person. Right. I I you know I I, I mean I'll go, I can't, go to the, I, I started out with a list and then winds up with nothing. I I right. What, did I, you where's that list? Ah, I don't know. I don't know. I you know, so I I it's it just those those boundaries, Matt. It, they're really really tough for me to work around. So sometimes that you know that's probably the gnarly underbelly of my of my behaviors. I, I don't always complete tasks. I just, it's, it's terrible. So um, that's not great. So Tom's superpowers, um, you know, Tom is truly 100%, 100% of the time. And I, I've known Tom for a very, very long time. And we've been married now going on 18 years. And I can say this with all honesty, Tom does not stop. He does not give up. He doesn't do anything until it's done the right way. And the key word there is the right way. 
you said a minute ago, if you don't want to go deep, Tom, we don't have to. Tom only goes to that next level. And he's constantly looking for people who will go that next level with him. And so I really hope the girls, they, they see it every day in his parenting style. They see it every day in the way that he treats me. They see it in the way he works when they go to bed at night. He gives whatever it is. It's 100%, 100% of the time the right way. And, and that's, that's just it. Hey, Maddie, uh, it's Russell. Hopefully you can get something usable out of this. You know, I don't have any kids, nor do I have any kids on the way. I, I would I would like to have children soonish. My delusion has really been to like be a better parent than my own parents were, to like improve upon the mistakes that I know they made. But also like I'm worried that I'm getting to be too old to be a good parent in other ways. Am I gonna be too old to like parent as the times change? Like am I gonna be like a you know, is this gonna be a situation where like I have no idea what's going on with my kids because I can't keep up with the way technology changes or the way certain social things have changed and I already feel like I'm not keeping up with those things. I barely understand how certain things happen on the internet and you know, I've been told like on more than one occasion, we're not really supposed to say that anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's like, so just like, uh, uh, what's gonna happen in, in like 10 or 15 years when like my brain is not as sharp as it is now. And like, I have a bunch of concerns about like my body and trying to take care of that. Like, am I gonna, God, like how, how am I gonna do any of this? I think about sometimes, but then like, then there's that part inside of me that's just like, it feels like this like, urge or drive to like, I know it's selfish, but to like, you know, make some little versions of myself and like teach them about all the cool stuff that I know and try to teach them to be good people and people that like are invested in like making sure the world isn't totally destroyed and just like filling in those blank spots that my parents left for me and my siblings. Okay. Uh, we can talk about this more. Let me know if you want me to say something else later. I love you. Goodbye. She worked at hotels, yeah? No, 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 no. Restaurants. That feel in Mexico is very, very different because the, the tourism over there is, like, insane. She had to go to school to be able to work there and get to that position that she got. And, and, and it, it just, it's viewed differently over there. She was not a pushover. Like, she would make sure that you would understand that it was not okay. It, it was discipline. You know, like my mom could be very sweet, very loving, very caring. She was the sweetest. But if you try to be a fool around her, or if, if you didn't follow her rules and, and she felt like you were taking advantage of her sweetness, she would make sure that you would understand that was not going to be tolerated. I would see her work, my mom work, and she was a female, which I probably sound crazy right now because you see so many females bossing men around now. But at the time in Mexico, talking about 30 years ago, in her position, she was, I think she was one of like two or the only female in the entire region managing just men, a men-led field. And to see her run like events for politicians or for like the state events and stuff like that. And and knowing that the men were not happy about following her directions, but that she still made it happen. That was a very, very cool thing to do because it went from domestic abuse to now see her being the boss and managing men and no men having the right to say no 
to her. That was very powerful for me. I knew that I wanted to do that too. The thing that I always come back to when I like find myself talking to people about the experience of having kids is this time when I was in college, which you will very well remember when we first moved to New York, and I was so in love with this woman, and she lived on uh, Avenue A and 7th Street, and I used to like go to her house in the middle of the night, and we had this just like very torrid, like complicated relationship, and I just, I have so many like very powerful and humiliating memories of like standing outside her apartment at like three o'clock in the morning in the rain, just like crying and like begging to be let in because like I needed to see her so badly, and like I saw her the night before, and then we got in a fight, and then she told me to come over, and then she changed her mind, and it was like totally mental, you know? And that the thing with having kids is like, I realized after I had my first son, that's how much I love my kid. Like that I'd only sort of been able to conceive of that as kind of romantic love. And that it's like, now that I have children, like the kind of powerful love you feel toward your kids actually makes this kind of intense, like apex, like adolescent, histrionic, like limerent love, almost like pale in comparison to how much I love my kids. To be able to use the idiom that, like, you take a bullet for someone and, like, actually mean it. That's sort of how I understand my feelings about it, I guess. That it's, like, this extremely powerful love. And so I think people talk about, I hear a lot of people talk about, like, you know, this anxiety around having kids, all the things you have to give up. And you do have to give things up, you know, your your autonomy. And certainly you, you lose, like, all conceivable free time. And you surrender a lot. But I think before you have the experience of having kids, the thing that is very hard to intellectualize, it's like you're getting something in return for that sacrifice, which maybe people pre-children, it's hard to conceive of the weight of that, that like the thing you get in return is like, it's a very powerful experience of like being around people constantly that you deeply, deeply love and who are able to return that love to you. I mean, you're, when you're a kid, you, your parents are your whole life. And so, I mean, it, it's this very powerful bond that I think is very difficult to put into language and really does not make sense if you're not kind of living in it. I think it's very difficult to convey the power of that bond and that attachment. When you think about when we were little kids and kind of what you wished for us when we were little kids, what traits or characteristics do you see that you were really able to manifest most strongly in us? I think we just brought what we what we had. Obviously, I didn't have like math skills, number skills, and stuff to bring, so that didn't happen on my end. But I, I loved that whole word power thing we had that was such a theme that we would read so much. And we turned books into toys. Remember, even a bad book, we had a lot of fun with a book that was stupid. And we'd lay there and we'd read it. And when mom would come home with a stack of 50 or 75 books that she made you guys sit in the library and pick out, you know, we'd go through them that week, you know, read 10, 12 books a day. There was a huge payoff on that. Both of you guys have awesome uh, communication skills and you're both great writers. And I really attribute that to the word power thing. Word power was something that was talked about in our house every day. The power of words. The power of using your words. Choosing your words. Reading was constant, but word power was the through line of my childhood. My mom was an English teacher, and my dad is an articulate mother cracker, trying to keep it clean for the kids. And inside both of them, I believe, live giant sleeping writers. But word power was never designated to stay on the page. It was something that both of my parents brought to life in our house. It was communication, it was listening, it was expression, it was humor, it was comprehension. Well, the part of the word power thing that I feel like I never hear either of you talk about, but I think it was probably one of the, the more impactful parts of it. Not the baby talk one? My parents never talked to us like we were babies, even when we were babies. They talked to us like we were people. 
just the quality of conversation that you led in the house. We ate dinner together. Right. You asked us questions. You asked us follow-up questions. You pushed us to be detailed and specific. Comprehension. Not only reading comprehension, but like comprehension like in a, a social situation. You would ask, well, why do you think they were acting that way? Or why do you think someone was feeling that way, you know? you pushed us to meet a level of understanding. Hmm, you're right. We did have... You know what? We were aware of it early we, on. We tried not to, and not that you can't, but we tried not to talk to you like babies. We talked about drugs and drinking. We talked about peer pressure a ton. I mean, a lot. It was kind of like, this is the world. It was a real world. conscious thing not to and do it, And it wasn't, it wasn't like too much but it was just like give you credit for understanding this marina yeah gift gabby with a little necessary delusion that you you hope that she will take with her into the future so what is the story that you hope that she will remind herself of going forward Mm. what's the most important story that she needs to tell herself for the next three decades do what you want, always, because you have a great intuition. Just trust yourself and uh, do what you want. Don't listen to anyone. Marina, I don't want to undercut your, your story, but does Gabby need help remembering that story? <laughs> Probably not. We're thinking of a different story that I can give her. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> if you were going to help her to adjust her path with a little bit of finesse, a little bit of advice from mom. Mm. What does she have a hard time remembering? What needs to be more of a part of her story? You can say it. I won't be offended. Don't be afraid of feelings. Yeah. It will help you going forward with all of your personal relationships. That is a good one. I don't like feelings too much. That's that's fair. Express your feelings. Be in touch with your feelings and don't push them back. Don't call them as triggers. They're feelings mm-hmm. that are important to be addressed when they happen. And just let yourself cry when you feel like crying. Be sad when you feel like you're being sad. Got to the end of it because at the end of it, This is where the real understanding and real feelings begin. She landed that point like a 747. Let your feelings run their course. That's where the real bravery comes in, the real patience. Let yourself hurt and heal and get back up and find new clarity. That's where the real growth happens. That's how the real growth happens. You don't have to spend 20 years just being like, can I have a feeling? It's a big hang up for a lot of earth monsters because feelings are messy, and by nature they force us to submit control. But they are essential to feel, in order to really connect with ourselves, connect with anyone else. And now it's my turn. That was great, yeah. Um, I would say just be nicer to yourself. Be nicer to yourself, you know? I think you criticize yourself a little bit too much. Which sounds like code for, you beat yourself up, mom. Allow yourself to understand that like things may not have always been perfect and not make it seem like it's your fault that life has ended up the way that it has. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be cognizant of like people that have wronged you 
as long as you don't marinate in that. But that's like in the same way that you say me feeling my feelings is important. You looking at the facts is important. You you feel the feelings. You don't look at the facts. I only look at the facts and I don't feel the feelings. So I think nice little bridge there. Gabby, there are no facts here. We're on a show called Your Necessary Delusion. <laughs> It's all subjective, squishy, and I'm going to push you a little harder and ask, why is it important that we are nice to ourselves? What do we get from that? What's the biggest benefit from that? It gives you space to actually move past the the wrongs that people have dealt you or like the wrongs that life has dealt you. I think there's the two extremes. There's a side where you're playing the victim and you say, woe is me and everything happens to me. And there's the other side where you say, I deserved it. It's my fault. It's like, it's my responsibility. It's my fault that these, these things happened. Both are extremes, but there's that middle ground of, I experienced this, but by acknowledging that I'm actually able to process the emotions and then move past it and take it out of my responsibility. I think we put a lot of, myself included, we put a lot of fault and blame on ourselves. And I think that it's, it's, not helpful or productive. And it is a necessary delusion telling yourself that you caused all of your problems, but it is sometimes helpful to, to assign blame when it is outside of your. Can I ask you a question? What makes it necessary delusion to tell yourself stories that it's your fault? What makes it necessary for us? Because in some weird way, it gives you control, even though it's not the right amount of control. It makes you feel like, oh, I did this to myself. This is why I feel crappy. I can fix it. So rather than saying, and it's a lot easier to to put the blame on yourself conceptually, not emotionally. Conceptually, it's easier to say, I did this. It's my fault. That's why things are so shitty than it is to blame or to, to put the responsibility on someone that hurt you, especially if you love them. That's basically victim blaming, but you yourself are the victim and you're blaming yourself rather than saying, no, what this person did was objectively crappy and shitty and they should not have done this. It's not my fault. It happened. I assign the blame to them and it does not make me lesser than to admit that it's their fault that I'm in this situation. Brilliant as always. (laughs) You know, like a, a lot of girls... They think like their dream is to get married and have a beautiful wedding and have children. It's like their top priority. For me, my top priority was to number one, be as badass as my mom in terms of like being a boss and find like a position where no man would ever tell me what to do and be super, super independent to a point that I would never have to run away from anyone. I'm not gentle and well-composed like my mom is because that's just not my personality even if I try because I'm loud and I use my body language in very like abrupt ways and so on and she doesn't do any of that. Even when she drinks, she's a sipper. I love shots, okay? <laughs> she kind of set the trend of what my life goal will be and it was definitely not marriage, although if I'm married to you right now it's because I chose to, I wanted to but not necessarily because I was in love with the idea of like, oh, that's all I look forward to in life. It was because to me, it was like, if I don't get married, I'm totally okay with that. I don't need it. And if I do, it's because I'm going to marry someone pretty fucking badass. It's going to make my life better than it already is. And the whole family thing also, I was like, I would like to have children, but I'm not going to bring children just because I want to have children. It's because I'm going to bring them in a healthy family environment with a father that's going to teach them love and respect and show them how he respects a woman also. Very important. So all those things were not dreams for me, but I knew that if I were to do them, it was strictly because I I knew it was going to be complete opposite of what my dad was. 
so she just kind of helped with that setting that mentality was completely i did not grow up with the princess mentality whatsoever you grew up with the warrior for being here with us today earth monster and for being with us all season this is the season two finale and so we're going to take just a little break to have a little earth monster of our own before we come back with more stories and conversations but if you haven't been listening on a weekly basis then i would invite you to listen back to any one of the stories from our first two seasons and if you have a delusion of your own and you want to share it i'm constantly looking for people to talk to Or maybe you just have some feedback on an episode. We're interested in hearing that too. You can use this voicemail however you want, guys. The number is 323-540-4540. Or you can email us at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com. Follow us on all social platforms at yournecessarydelusion, including Venmo, if you want to send us some love. Or write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's the Purple Podcast app. So what did I learn about parenthood today? I remembered that I couldn't have possibly had better role models for it. And if I can even approach the passionate, thoughtful job that my parents have done, then I'm going to be in pretty good shape. That may sound like a lot of confidence, but I think I also learned that I'm going to mess it up regardless. Because even if you tell your kids the exact story that you intend to, it's still subject to their interpretation. I want to thank Pow for the hours of recording that she participated in throughout this pregnancy, always with the delusion that it would end up in this episode. Well, I guess most of that conversation turned out to be just for us, but it was a lot of fun and I learned so much. There is no one that I would rather be doing this with. I want to thank all of our storytellers today, Pow, Marcus, Mom, Dad, Louie, Marina, Gabby, Jackie, Tom, Russell, and how could I forget about Devin? Hey, it's Devin. Um, so typically I frown upon unsolicited parenting advice, but this advice was solicited. So um, my parenting advice would be don't let people try to step in and parent for you. For example, my stepfather does not agree with the fact that we let the boys dye their hair and that we let our youngest paint his nails. But guess what? There are kids. And if that's how they want to express themselves, we want to encourage them to express themselves in healthy ways. So I just say, with all due respect, these are my kids. You did with your kids what you wanted to do, and we're going to do with our kids what we want to do. And we choose to, you know, let them know that they should never be ashamed of who they are, and they should always want to just be their own person. We shouldn't have kids to be a carbon copy of ourselves. My goal is to make sure that my children are better human beings than I am. I think the biggest gift we can give to the world is to raise kind, compassionate, and intelligent individuals so they can, you know, raise their own kind, compassionate, intelligent individuals. (laughs) Um, I hope that you could use something here. All right. Thanks. Bye. We will be back with more epic everyday stories of success and redemption. Until next time. Anything else for the time capsule here?
my belly keeps growing by the day. Getting real heavy, dropping all the way to my crutch. Feel like I need to pick it up with both hands. And my skin, oh boy, my skin. It's just stretching so much. And you move to the right, you move to the left. It's just like this big basketball and you feel like it's pulling all of your organs with it. You can breathe and, and you have to pee every 15, 20 minutes because it's all this weight just pressing on your bladder. You just want to kill someone, anyone around. Well, we're at, um, we're at what, like 32 weeks? No, my love, 31. 31 weeks. And the baby's about 16 inches long and three and a half, four pounds. Three and a half. And we feel her moving around a lot, yeah? Oh, yeah. She's trying to communicate something when she does it, though. What do you think she's trying to communicate? She's ready. She's ready to come out and give us some personality. No. Oh, yeah, she's going to be something. Help me, baby. Where are you going? I just need to sit up. I can do this. One, two, three. I am very heavy right now, baby. I'm very uncomfortable. I know you are. 